0: KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked, our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm news director, Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, a mining company may have found the largest known deposit of rare earth minerals here in Wyoming.
1: We knew it was going to be big. We didn't know it was going to be a monster in the good sense of the word
0: why this discovery matters. And later, it's officially Pride Month. Some Jackson residents spent the first part of the year fighting state legislative efforts to dial back LGBTQ rights. And now locals say they're ready to celebrate queer culture.
2: Pride Month in particular is a time where we fill our cups back up. The joyfulness and the connection and community is absolutely invaluable.
0: These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Teton County has a helicopter and it's the first in Wyoming to have its own chopper. After receiving millions in donations from the community, its rescue team has purchased a year round Airbus H125 that may quicken response times and a hotspot for backcountry adventure. K2L's Hannah Mersbach reports.
3: A rescuer and a pretend patient dangle on a rope a hundred feet below a helicopter as it flies them down to a grassy field. Rescuer Albert Wheeler says this is called a short haul.
2: Most of the time that we're using this technique, it's because we're in terrain where we can't land the helicopter.
3: Dozens of people recently showed up at the base of Snow King, hair and clothing whipping in the fierce wind of the chopper, to watch Teton Search and Rescue offer a rare rescue demonstration. It
4: helps our community, and it's really vital for all of us that they know that we support them.
3: That's Jackson resident Ryan Schilling, who got hurt mountain biking on the backside of Snow King last summer.
4: I hit the ground pretty hard and ended up breaking nine ribs and puncturing a lung and um, instantly knew that I was going to need help getting out.
3: Schilling was in luck a helicopter was free for Search and Rescue to haul him out.
4: I was really fortunate and really thankful that the helicopter was available.
3: But that hasn't always been the case. Until now, Search and Rescue would rent a chopper in the snowy months, but in warmer weather, borrowed one from the Forest Service. Rescuers like Wheeler say it's not always been free at a moment's notice.
2: Before we were scrambling to find the right resource when we didn't have our contract helicopter here,
3: but that's all about to change with the new over $7 million full-time chopper. In less than a year, Search and Rescue received around 2,000 donations for the fundraiser called Mission Critical. Wheeler says this means faster and more consistent rescues just when calls for help are at an all-time high.
2: People are going further and further into the backcountry to pursue their passion, in their sports, um, and unfortunately, um, sometimes it goes awry.
3: A lot of those rescues happen through short hauls, which the search and rescue team demonstrated at the Snow King gathering. Schilling, the mountain biker, says seeing the demonstration triggered strong feelings he hasn't felt in a while, since he was short hauled himself off Snow King.
4: They're positive emotions because I had a really good outcome, but it was really exciting and emotional to see.
3: Schilling says with the new helicopter, he hopes more injured people will have positive outcomes just like him. Hannah Merzbach, 12 News.
0: Teton County Search and Rescue's new chopper will also be used to respond to natural disasters, fight wildfires, and help out neighboring counties in need. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. The batteries in your cell phone, the glass and solar panels, and other important materials all depend on rare earth minerals. That's leading to a new mining rush in the west. The Mountain West News Bureau's Will Walkie reports from a potential mining site in southeast Wyoming.
5: I'm hiking up a steep hillside of public land in the Laramie Mountains, overlooking a tiny meandering stream. I passed cacti, some animal droppings, and lots of rocks. Do my best to follow the deer track and not tumble down this mountain. Looking for signs of drilling activity, I found a few wooden stakes from surveys. This site is located down a sparsely populated dirt road in between a couple of ranches. In a decade or so, this whole thing could be a mine. That would be a big change. How big? Well, this site could be on top of the largest known rare earth deposit in North America.
1: We knew it was going to be big. We didn't know it was going to be a monster, in the good sense of the word.
5: That's Mel Sanderson, North American president of American Rare Earths. The company has about 8,000 acres of mining claims on federal, private, and state lands. This year, it said exploratory drilling results estimate that there are almost 5 million tons of rare earth oxides beneath the surface.
1: I like to flatter myself to think that rare earth can be for Wyoming what coal has been and provide a link to that green and sustainable economy.
5: So, why is this a big deal? Rare earths are a group of 17 elements that are far down the periodic table, with names I still struggle to pronounce, like neodymium and praseodymium. Patty Weber with the Wyoming State Geological Survey says they're in products you may use on a daily basis. Specialty
2: glass products, steel making, batteries, are kind of an endless list of other, other applications where their unique composition makes them very difficult to replace.
5: That's why the U.S. Geological Survey designated most of them as critical for economic and national security. China dominates the rare earths market, and there aren't many operating American mines. So, the Biden administration wants to expand the country's supply through domestic development.
2: Rare earth elements themselves are not actually rare. Rare earths are considered rare in an economic sense because they don't occur in high
5: concentrations in most minerals. But this discovery in Wyoming is unusual because the elements are highly concentrated and not very radioactive. Geologists in Montana, Colorado, and Idaho say they also may have some rare earth deposits worth exploring. The American Rare earth Mine likely won't be fully operational for at least 30 years. That's because permits, environmental reviews, and other prep work take a long time. But as the company ramps up operations, it could mean hundreds of local jobs, says Sanderson.
1: We're going to need supervisors. We're going to need folks that can repair the conveyor belts. We're going to need a whole garage system that keeps our fleet of vehicles running.
5: The closest town to American Earth's claims is Wheatland, an agricultural center of around 3,500. Tracy DeReich heads the local economic development group.
6: Our newest thing that is coming to town is uh, there's going to be a Wendy's in town, so people are excited
5: about that. Unlike other Wyoming towns, Wheatland isn't very involved in energy. Derek says the economy has been slightly declining recently, and school enrollment is dropping. So, locals may embrace a project like this.
6: I think that to some extent they want to grow, but I think they want it to be a planned growth. So I don't think that they just want a huge influx of people to drive up housing prices and create infrastructure issues.
5: There could be other concerns. This Wyoming site would likely be an open pit mine, which in the past has led to air and water contamination. Other so-called green energy sites in the region, like a lithium mine in Nevada, have spurred conflicts with tribal communities. American Rare Earths pledges to protect the environment around their mine. Still, advocates say as demand for these critical minerals grows, more conflicts are inevitable in the West. So, they say planning needs to happen early, and all affected parties need to be at the table. For Wyoming Public Radio News, I'm Will Walkie in Platt County.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Pride Month, a celebration of the LGBTQ plus community. Pride in Jackson has been bubbling up in recent years. Its growth spawned the creation of JH Pride last year, a group that is 100% queer-run and is launching what may be the most ambitious Pride schedule in the town's history. Rainbow flags will wave through downtown during June, and the group is hosting a gender diversity picnic, hikes, climbs, disc golf, a queer prom drag show, and of course, a dance party. I recently sat down with J.H. Pride members Grant Gallagher and Karen Chen, who is also a local LGBTQ and women's rights advocate and KHOL advisory board member. And we began our discussion talking about how they found pride. I guess my entry point
6: into pride maybe is I found a lot of community here in Jackson through dancing and pride was one of the places where I found the most fun dancing in Jackson. So I sort of saw that as a place where I could express and explore Myself as a queer man here in Jackson.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful anecdote because really in past years, you know, Andrew Munz has done a lot of work around creating queer spaces. And in particular, the Pride Dance Party has existed for several years and for several years prior to Jackson Hole Pride being organized. So the fact that dancing was like the entry point, I think, is a lot of people's entry point to Pride And what we found is, you know, there's the one dance party, there's the one Pride dance party, but there was just so much yearning for more community connection beyond just the dance floor. And so things like queer kickballs started popping up, hiking together, skating together, all these sorts of things where you just want to be around people who understand you on like a cellular level started popping up. And and so that was where we sort of organized around that desire to just be in community with each other.
0: You know, this has been a rough year for many in the queer community across the country. LGBTQ plus rights are under attack with drag queen bans um, to limiting transgender individuals access to healthcare here in Wyoming. A law is about to go into effect that would ban transgender women and girls from playing on public high school sports teams. Align with their gender. Is pride a celebration this year or a protest? I think it's always been both.
6: Expressing queer joy and queer celebration has always been a form of protest against the many different societal forces that try to say that that does not belong in a community. In many ways, from talking to people in the community, a lot of what we've been hearing after such a difficult year politically is we need joy. We need community. We need to feel like we belong here. And that definitely applies to a lot of the queer and gender diverse youth here in Jackson and Teton County that just, yeah, have been really, really affected in hard ways by some of this legislation and some of the political rhetoric going on um, this year. And so being able to have banners and flags really visible and have all of these spaces created throughout the month of June and, and hopefully beyond that where people very strongly feel and can share that message of you belong here you matter here that to me is is right at
0: that intersection of celebration and protest both a form of resistance and mental vacation at the same time
2: yeah and to your point of mental vacation you know it takes it takes a lot of energy and emotional bandwidth to be able to fight for your right to exist <laughs> which is what we were doing this year in the legislature. There were many efforts on various levels of erasure. I'm so happy to say that most of those efforts failed because people showed up, because people put in the work. Um, but for me, Pride Month in particular is a time where we fill our cups back up because that's incredibly depleting. And so the joyfulness and the connection in community is absolutely invaluable for us to be able to continue doing the really hard work.
0: Do you find as a red Western state that Wyoming is a welcoming place for the queer community?
2: I get asked this a lot. You know, I visit family in other places in the country and they are just like so incredulous about why I live here, particularly since I came out. It's one of those things where, you know, I did a lot of work down in the legislature this past session and I found that there were so many people that were unexpected allies, people who understood that it wasn't their place as legislators to be legislating what our identities are and how we can exist. And so that's the reason we were able to stop some of this really bad legislation that was coming from a a really particular minority of folks. So I have found that the Jackson Hole queer community in particular, not only is incredibly vast, like larger than you think it might be, like every time we add another thing to the calendar, we're like, is this gonna, are people gonna show up? And then we sell it out. And then we like double book ourselves and we sell it out. So like the appetite for these spaces in this community seems at this point endless to me. And the thing that I also really appreciate is that Because we are in a state where it doesn't feel guaranteed, our safety doesn't feel guaranteed, people are that much more connected and involved with each other. There's just not room for the type of infighting or the type of divisions within the community that might happen in a place where you're given a little bit more bandwidth, right? Like we know we have to stick together. (laughs) Um, And so for us, like pride is for all types of folks in the queer community where gender diversity, sexual diversity, it's for families, queer families, it's for queer adults, it's for queer kids, it's for questioning folks, it's, it's for all of us. And we try really hard to make sure that that's part of how we operate as an organization.
0: Thinking about spaces, Jackson doesn't have a gay bar or a designated queer gathering spot as far as I know. Uh, why is oh, it no so- one
2: told you about the, the oh, secret Mark? No, just <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why is it so important for the community to congregate and see each other?
6: To me, those spaces create the opportunity to be surprised. And what I mean by that is, I felt this personally, and I've seen this in so many of my friends here in Jackson as well, that when you have spaces where you're able to express yourself and connect with people in ways that you previously didn't have that space for. It's an opportunity to learn new things about yourself and, and sort of learn things that you're capable of. And the, the personal example for me was um, one of those really important for spaces for me last year was the amateur drag show, The Roundup. And performing in drag was something that I had been curious about for a while, but just had never had the opportunity to. I'd never had the space to. I wouldn't even have known who to talk to about that or where to get started in doing that. And for myself and everyone else who was all involved in that cast, it was this really powerful experience of, whoa, we can do this. And there are people who will support us in doing this and physical spaces and, and metaphorical spaces in this community that can allow this to happen. And I think for myself and so many others, that production and other Pride events from last year just have continued to open so many doors since then in terms of just what we're able to imagine is possible for this community. And so that's what I mean by you're able to be
0: surprised. You know, Jackson can be a challenging place at times, affordability, finding a spot. What challenges are there finding spaces in the community to get together and dance and let loose?
2: Yes, this is definitely a challenge. You know, as... The housing crunch has advanced here in Jackson. It has also quietly, and maybe this isn't talked about as much as it should be, but it has really chipped away at our community spaces. I think about what, you know, the the Teton Theater, where Handfire Pizza is now. Um, I think about the challenges that have popped up around the Pink Garter Theater the center for the arts is it's a wonderful and amazing space and we have benefited from using it but it is also an expensive space to use and so for an organization of our size finding spaces where we can sort of pop in and exist for the evening and have our incredibly well-loved dance parties and even the smaller things like the gender affirming clothing swap right that's has to find a home as well so the housing crunch or the affordability crunch that's happening in Teton County is not just is not just affecting housing. It's affecting our community spaces and I think that more attention should be paid to that. And we need to think about what that looks like moving forward, both for Jackson Hole Pride and the, the events that we wanna put on, but all the small and important organizations that exist here that, that need space.
0: Karen Chen and Grant Gallagher from JH Pride. You can find a full schedule of June events on the JH Pride website. This is Jackson Unpacked. Tens of thousands of victims and survivors of the Holocaust are being honored in Germany. It's part of a three-decades-old grassroots effort to create the world's largest decentralized memorial by placing special stones at the sites where residents once lived and welcoming back their families. Those behind the movement say it's especially important right now to remember the atrocities of the past. In recent years, there has been a rise in anti-Semitism in both Germany and the U.S. KHL reporter, Hannah Merzbach, descends from a Jewish family who fled the Nazis in World War II. She recently traveled to Germany to take part in one of the ceremonies and documented her experience.
3: On a residential block outside of downtown Frankfurt, about 40 people gather on the sidewalk. My dad, brother, and I flew out for a memorial for members of my family, the Merzbachs, or as the Germans say it, the Matzbaz. That's my cousin, Bob Jesselson from South Carolina, playing the cello. He's a self-proclaimed historian of the family. He points to the small brass plaques being installed on the walkway called Stolpersteine, or...
4: Stumbling stones. So the idea is that as you walk along the sidewalk, you see the names of the people who live there and you stumble over them. You don't really stumble over them because they're flat.
3: Some stones honor people who died in the Holocaust. Others are for those like my grandfather's family who had to leave Germany. We're standing in front of where they used to live. Today, birds chirp and trees blow in the wind, but Jesselson says the neighborhood wasn't always so peaceful.
4: The house doesn't exist anymore. It was all bombed during the war.
3: Looking at the new concrete apartment buildings hovering above, it's hard for me to imagine what Frankfurt could have looked like then. When I was growing up in Los Angeles, my grandfather didn't talk much about what he went through. But on this trip, I learned that his father narrowly escaped a concentration camp and that the family got out mere months before the Second World War broke out. Then they assimilated to life in the U.S. and never moved back to Germany. Now, German citizens are honoring this history.
4: The Germans are the ones who paid for it and sponsored it. There's the artist, Gunter Demnick, who's the person who's responsible for starting this whole endeavor (laughs) many years ago.
3: Gunter Demnisch is kneeling down, cementing the stones into place. He's a silver-haired man in a flat-brimmed hat with a denim shirt and a thick German accent. He says, as opposed to mass memorials, this project is all about commemorating individuals.
6: This is important to bring back the names. A man is forgotten when his name is forgotten.
3: My grandfather's stone reads, Here Vonta, Here Lived, Wilhelm Merzbach. It's now one of 100,000 stones Demnisch has laid across Europe. He started that effort 30 years ago.
6: And now the name is back, and that's very important.
3: Demnisch says the stones honor all people persecuted under the Nazi regime. That includes Jews, like my family, but also people oppressed because of their sexual orientation or political beliefs.
6: I think it's important for the young people. The people really want to know how could this happen, and please never happen again.
3: A recent nationwide survey in the U.S. found that two-thirds of young adults are unaware that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Frankfurt resident Sibylle Steiner is part of the grassroots movement to help remember victims of the Holocaust. She's sponsored My Family Stones.
5: There were some emotional connections
3: Steiner, who mostly speaks German, says my family's story reminds her of her own, who were persecuted for their political beliefs. And she's worried about the future. I'm very, very interested in this history. And I don't want that uh, right people
4: in Germany, in the USA, in every country will not gather again.
3: Martin Martindale runs the Stolpersteiner Initiative in Frankfurt. He says he sees trends today that happened leading up to the Holocaust. It happened
4: uh, from racism. It happened from nationalism. It happened from, from chauvinism. It happened from anti-Semitism.
3: Anti-Semitism has been on the rise in recent years in both Germany and the United States. Last year, the Anti-Defamation League counted the highest number of anti-Semitic acts in the U.S. since the group started keeping track 40 years ago. And just recently, the Biden administration introduced the country's first strategic plan for combating the growing problem. Germany introduced a new strategy to fight anti-Semitism last year.
4: The right-wing politicians, the anti-democratic politicians, they are on the rise again. And therefore, we have to, to remember where this road might
3: end. Dill's hosting a Schopersteiner reception where about 25 families, including mine, are being honored at a Jewish elementary school in Frankfurt. Many of our parents and grandparents used to go there. Descendants stand up and tell their stories beneath banners with Hebrew prayers. They came from across Europe and the U.S. for this reception. Many of their stories sound like that of my own family. Father, where time
4: stones? We welcome the loveless families from Memphis,
5: New York, and L.A.
3: and the My cousin, Bob Jesselson, the historian, stands before the crowd and reads a poem about the meaning of the stumbling stones, or Stolpersteine.
4: When we stumble on the Stolpersteine, we step through time to a distant past. We can see our parents as young children, we can hear their voices and the
3: sound. He says, Our families lived there for generations, and we're proud to be German.
4: How did it feel for them to lose everything? Were they scared? Were they excited by the prospects of the future? Were they sad to be leaving? And for those who gathered at the grocery- The
3: answers to those questions, we may never know, but I did walk away from Germany with some other answers about my family's history, where they lived, what that could have looked like, and how they left. And thanks to this trip, those stumbling stones are sparking new family conversations. From KHL News, I'm Hannah Mersbach, and in German, Hanna Mautzbach.
0: That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strum Bucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL Jackson.